0: All right, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 25. I'm going to go ahead and invite you to stand with us. We're going to read just a few verses from that chapter. All right, let's read together. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed, And from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. Amen. You may be seated. David is still very much on the run. He's on the run from King Saul, who has it out for him. And even though he may be a rising star, he has no major political alliances at this time. And the one, perhaps, who is his greatest... Alliance has now died. Samuel, his powerful advocate, just died in the chapter before this. Actually, in verse 1 of chapter 25. And this was not just a major blow for the nation, but it was a particular major blow for David. He was feeling like he had no one. Of course, he had his dear friend Jonathan, but he was limited in what he could do. And yet, David knows his time as king is coming He knows not to rush it. But as you can imagine, it has to be very difficult knowing your future, and yet you're running for your life. There's a lesson there, I think, right? We all know our future, and yet things aren't as they should be. So in an effort to move things along, this is what David does. He begins to forge, or at least attempt to forge, very valuable political alliances to make his transition to the throne as smooth as possible when his time does come. And thus, we find ourselves in chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. We have three main players. We have David, Nabal, and Nabal's wife, Abigail. We have much to learn from each of them, but make no mistake, Abigail is the very heart of this story. First and 2 Samuel are about the hero King David, And the covenant that God makes with his people through David. But chapter 25 belongs to the heroism of Abigail. And we'll learn why. And so first off we have these two men in this story. Nabal and soon to be King David. What can we learn about these men? So 1 Samuel 25 verses 1 through 9. Let me just read these. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Moan whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and thousands of goats. He was shearing his sheep in Kermal, which is a huge festival, by by the way. It's like harvest time. Everyone parties at harvest time because they are uh, excited about the blessing of God through the harvest. In this case, through the provision of the sheep. Now, the name of the man was Nabal. The name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calabite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men. And David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you and peace to your house and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us and we did to them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to honor your servants and to your son, David. When the men, David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. We're not really left guessing as to the character of this man, Nabal. We, we actually know a lot about him. The scripture is very explicit about the kind of man that Nabal is. He's a very rich businessman. He's probably very influential in the region. Um, That's one of the reasons that David is approaching him. But Scripture also says that he is harsh and badly behaved. In fact, when David's men approach him, it is told to us later in verse 14 that Nabal rails at them. Other translations read that Nabal screams at them. Even his wife, even his wife admits that he's a full hearty man in verse 25. When he celebrates with his household at the end of shearing season, it's remarked that he is a drunkard. This man's character is not bright and shining. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. So what can we learn from Nabal? The first thing I think that we can learn from his is that the character of the man is at the heart of the man. Jesus says, from out of the heart, the mouth speaks the shape and the content of your heart and what you're putting into your heart absolutely matters because it always is going to come out in what you say and what you do. Always. doesn't matter how wealthy you are or influential you are. Your character will either exalt you or eventually defeat you. And just as an aside, husbands, never give your wives a reason to call you a fool. She certainly did. And in our culture, sometimes we tend to excuse bad behavior when it is expedient for us. If it accomplishes the goals that we think we have. But regardless, the character of the man is at the heart of the man. It absolutely matters. What was going on in Nabal's heart shaped his response to David. And how he treated everyone else Around him. How about David? What is David like? We already know a lot about David. He's the coming king of Israel. He is anointed by the prophet Samuel as to be the next king after God has rejected Saul. The Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. He's young, valiant. At this point, he's a tested soldier and military commander. David's the kind of man who really wants to do the right thing. He wants to follow God. He wants to also preserve his life and his future kingship while also honoring the very king who wants to see him dead. He's a remarkable young man. He's leading 600 men at this time, likely rebels, malcontents, who weren't pleased with the political situation. They were running roughshod around Israel and Judea, trying to stay alive, along with trying to build valuable political alliances for a stable future. We also learn that David is, has a temper, and is prone to pride, as we'll see in a moment. But what can we learn from David? Just like the heart of Naval shapes his words and his deeds, it's similar for David. What your heart follows absolutely matters. What your heart follows absolutely matters. It'll matter in the moments of your greatest temptation. When our heart follows the things of God in our greatest weaknesses, by the power of the Spirit of God, we are inclined to make better choices than worse ones if our heart follows hard after God. So what your heart and who your heart follows absolutely matters. So two men. One follows after God. One has a very despicable character which is shaped by the condition of his heart as well both men are presented with a choice and they both fail miserably two bad decisions first samuel 26 verses 10 through 13 the men waited they delivered the message to nabal and nabal answered david's servants who's david who is the son of jesse there are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told David all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David while also 200 remained with the baggage. Wisely, David begins to think about the stability of his political future. He decides not just to do the right thing by Nabal's shepherds, protecting them, but he also decides to develop a long-term relationship with this very influential businessman, Nabal. It was good for him to do this. Wise. And so he sends out 10 of his soldiers to ask Nabal, in his name, if he would be willing to meet some of the needs of his men, hoping to forge this long-term alliance with an influential man. It was feast day, our feast season during the shearing time. There was tons of food. They were celebrating. The request and the offering of food would be a show of support for David. And Nabal is presented with a choice, a decision, to either support David or not. And so we've read Nabal's decision. Nabal rebuffs David's request. Furthermore, he makes little of David's name. Who is this son of Jesse? Who's David anyway? He would say. I've never heard of him. And how can I even be certain that you are even his men? He mocks David, makes light of his anointing as the next king. Even one of Nabal's servants says that he screamed at David, and he wouldn't even listen to us. This was a very, according to Scripture, badly behaved man. And he made a very bad decision. What is... Nabal's bad decision. What can we learn for that? The first thing we can learn is be careful not to reject the anointed coming king. That's the most obvious lesson here. Let us be careful not to reject the anointed coming king. Nabal knew exactly who David was. And yes, he was weighing his alliance with King Saul and the political environment. But because of his foolishness and his lack of character, he said no to the coming king. And I think that's good wisdom for us too, even as believers We have to ask ourselves, are there any situations and circumstances where we are inclined to or we actually are saying no to our king? Does that happen with us? I'm sure it does. So be careful not to reject the anointed coming king. Secondly, be careful not to put your family at risk. There is no one better to teach your family or children what it looks like to say yes to the king than you. Men, husbands, dads, when you say no to the king, you teach your kids to say no to the king. And they will, without a doubt, follow in your footsteps without intervention. And we have great interventionists all around, and certainly, most importantly, in Jesus himself. But... Be careful not to lead your family at risk in your saying no to the king when he comes to ask for your alliances and loyalty and expectation of obedience. What can we learn from David's bad decision? What was his bad decision? As you can imagine, David was not pleased. In fact, he was very angry. The man, Nabal, had dishonored his name, and he failed to recognize who he was, the coming king. David's ego was bruised, and in his anger, he readies 400 of his men to wipe out all the men in Nabal's household. He was angry. In fact, he makes a vow in verses 21 and 22. He says it like this. Now, David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more so, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. David was livid, and he had made a vow to send 400 men to wipe out the household of Nabal, all the males. What do we learn from this very bad decision? Even from a man who's falling after the heart of God. That's his desire. David wants to do the right thing. We've seen him do the right thing. When he was given the opportunity to kill King Saul, who was after his own life, he said, No, I'm going to stay my hand because it's, it's not my hand that should take the life of King Saul. I need to wait upon the Lord. David made great decisions, But now he's presented with another one. Do I take vengeance on Nabal, who has dishonored my name, or do I stay my hand and wait upon the Lord? And he does not wait. He says, I am angry, I am taking up arms, and I'm going to wipe out every male in this man's household. Listen, anger can be a great barometer in determining between right and wrong, between what is just and unjust. Be angry and sin not. That's what... Paul advises us to do, but left unchecked, it can lead us to make horrible decisions in the moment. And that's where David was. In the moment, he was hot, and he was not willing to wait for the Lord. And he says, let's go. Let's go. Strap your swords on. We're going to annihilate this man for what he has said about Unchecked anger can lead every single one of us to make the most horrible decisions in the moment. Sometimes we need just to cool off, step aside, and give God the opportunity to speak in that still, small voice on how we are to best move forward. Unchecked anger can leave a lasting legacy. What if David had followed through, and there was no intervention, but David had followed through with his decision to kill Nabal and his men? What then? Well, he would, for the first time, become a murderer of his own people. How do you forge political alliances then? Even in the wake of the death of King Saul, How difficult. It was already a challenge, but how more difficult would have been if the whisper among the nation could have been, David's a murderer. He killed our own people. Listen, in the moment when we let anger take hold of us, it can be rash, it can be quick, and if we're not careful, it can leave a lasting legacy. And it was this close, David was this close if it weren't for the god ordained intervention to stay his hand thank we're thankful for the lord the last thing is when we think about david we've got to remember you haven't arrived until you've arrived I mean, there are seasons in our life, and maybe David was there. He's thinking, man, I've done really well for myself. I've really been seeking after the Lord. I've really been in a life and season of prayer. And, man, I'm just gone a good trajectory. And maybe he got complacent where he was in his relationship with God in these very real-world situations. Things were getting hard. But David hasn't arrived. He wasn't the holy of holies. He wasn't perfect in all of his ways. And when he's presented with a very serious temptation to act out on his anger and take vengeance against Nabal, he falls for it. And sometimes we can be the same way. We think we've done so well these past few weeks that we can set ourselves up for that next temptation and we fall flat on our. Face. What does Jesus say? Pride comes before the fall. Listen, we've got to stay humble. In this journey with Jesus, we've got to stay humble and recognize there's not a day that goes by that we don't need him. That we don't need the conviction of the Spirit of God. That we don't need his work in our life. That, uh, that we don't need counsel. That we don't need peace that comes from him. That we don't need wisdom. The moment we think we have it all together and we have arrived is the moment we are most likely to fall. And we see that here in David. As much as he is a man after God's own heart, his anger was left unchecked in that moment. And he put his sword on. What about Abigail? What about Abigail? Abigail is the true star of this story. She redeems both of these men. Once she hears of what has happened, she immediately steps into action. This woman knows exactly what to do. And not only that, but she's willing to put her life on the line to do it. Remarkable woman. Verses 14 through 42. This is a long section. We'll just touch on a few verses. But one of the young men told Abigail Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master. And he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us and we suffered no harm and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with David's men. They were a wall to us both night and by day and all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that no one, no one can speak to him. Then Abigail made haste. Not a delay here. Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five siyas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal, likely for the same reason that his men would not approach him because he wouldn't listen. And as she rode on the docking and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, this is David's frame of mind coming down the mountain, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that had belonged to him and he as he has returned me evil for good, God do so to the enemies of David, and more so if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. But when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from her donkey and fell before him on her face and bowed on the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. That's remarkable. She's taking the fall here. Please let your servant speak In your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, do not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt or the guilt of murder and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men whom follow my Lord. Talking about David. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and the evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. In the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done... And what the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel. One more verse. My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. We could go on and finish the story. Abigail becomes the heroine of this story. She steps in the very middle and intercedes for both of these men. Just a few thoughts here. There is no biblical reason for a good wife to fall under the perilous leadership of a foolish husband. Let me say that again. There is no biblical reason for a good wife to fall under the perilous leadership of a foolish husband. There is not even a biblical reason for a good wife to submit to a foolish decision of a husband who he himself is not willing to submit to the king. Let me say that again. There is no biblical reason for a good wife to submit to a foolish decision of a husband who he himself is not willing to submit to the king. When the wife, this is Pastor Don from Monday. Listen to this. When the Bible teaches a wife to be submissive to her husband, it does not mean for her to be paralyzed or passive. I love that. And at first glance, when we read those passages in the New Testament that are beautiful, that talk about that role that husbands and wives have in mutual submission towards one another, the husband called to lay down his life, for his wife in the same manner that Jesus laid down his wife for the church and the wife called to submit to the leadership of her husband and to honor and respect her husband as, his, as her husband loves her, we sometimes can filter that word submission through our own cultural lenses. And when we read submit, we hear stay quiet, be passive, less than, below, no voice, never taking the initiative. You put the word in there. Sometimes, That's where we go when we read that word. But in the words of Inigo Montoya, and to save my wife some embarrassment, I'm not going to use his accent. (laughs) You keep using that word. I do not think that word means what you think it means. (laughs) Abigail is a good wife. Not unlike many in this room, she takes action, she is experienced, she is decisive, she knows exactly what needs to be done. Where her husband dismisses the coming king, she acknowledges him and even blesses him as the coming king. Knowing what is at stake and though she has done nothing wrong, she offers herself in exchange for the lives of her husband and her whole household. She steps right up into this. She's honest. She doesn't make excuses for her husband's foolishness. She does all this with great expediency, extraordinary humility and grace. My sisters, you are never just a woman. You are a woman, fashioned in the image of God, made to display the glory of God in the whole earth. My sisters, you are never just wives. You are Wives, you are co-heirs with Christ, recipients of the same grace, filled with the same spirit, called to affirm and help their husband to lead well. And in a vacuum of life-sacrificing leadership from her husband, she intercedes. She intervenes for the sake of her king, for the sake of her husband, and for the sake of her household. Abigail becomes the redeemer. She becomes the great interventionist in this story. And Abigail's intervention totally changes the trajectory of two really bad decisions. Unfortunately, it's too late for her husband. If we finish the chapter, he dies when he becomes aware that his death was coming. But Abigail humbly takes action. She redeems her household and preserves the legacy of a coming king. She is the hero. She provides David an opportunity for repentance she gives him enough pause to remind him, David, you must wait upon the Lord and he will bless you. She is the good wife because ultimately her actions and swiftness and humility and grace and strength point to Jesus. There's no way around this. She ultimately points to our great redeemer, our great interventionist. Abigail is the hero of this story in every way. And we have much to learn from her, not just as men, but as women together, we have much to learn from her and we have much to learn about Jesus in her intervention in this story. We have the privilege of celebrating the great interventionist and redeemer that we have in Jesus. And so we're going to transition now in a time of taking the Lord's Supper so that we can remember what Christ has done as being the great Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, God of glory and grace, we thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus, who intervened on our behalf. Lord, when we have played the fool, when we have rejected the King, the very King himself has intervened for us and has become our advocate. And Lord, we rejoice that despite our foolishness and rejection, we have a redeemer who would take our sin upon himself. We say thank you. We ask you to help us to remember every day that we are called to recognize our sin, to repent of our sin, and to treasure the sacrifice and resurrection of your son. We are who we are now, forgiven and restored because of his great redemption. Help us to remember now as your church family. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say, amen.